Only posers die, you fucking idiot! Mikey, your boy Shane Spider said that you guys have a podcast together called I Don't Want to Hear It. Well, you're gonna hear it right now, motherfucker. Fuck your podcast. I don't want to hear it at all. Go fuck yourself now! Hi, everybody. Welcome to I Don't Want to Hear It, straight to your face, edition number five. Shane's in Boston this week, and he only told me he couldn't record about five minutes before he got on his plane. He said it was important doctor business, but I know, and you know, he's just jet-setting around to different restaurants that only serve grass, prepared in unique and creative ways. So it's just me here. A few updates, the first of which is that zine number two is out. You can purchase it over on WNDPress.com. Also, we're changing the name of our publishing company because it's the same acronym as some QTubers news network. The QAnon folks, they just take the fun out of conspiracy theories, you know? Now, patrons, you you guys know you get the zine for free, so anyone else who isn't a patron, uh, consider giving us your money. Next, we have a few books coming out very soon, one of which is a small anthology of Florida writers entitled Sunny Disposition. Uh, I'm working on it at the moment, and we've received some pretty cool submissions. Shane and I even wrote some stuff for it. That's coming later this year, along with some BCBA manuals from Shane's world. You know, butt cock, butt ass, penis half dick, doctor stuff. Anywho, the other thing I'm really excited about is my new podcast, Wasteland. It's a Floridian true crime podcast entirely created by me. I debuted the first episode on the I Don't Want to Hear It feed earlier this month, and I want to thank everyone for listening. If you haven't checked it out, head over there, give it a listen. It's not, the, it's not too long. The full season, uh, I believe it's seven episodes with an intro, will drop on Tuesday, June 1st on its own feed, We'll be promoting it on whatever vile social media platforms that we're forced to use. So if you haven't already, go follow us over at I Don't Want to Hear a Pod on Instagram. And I don't know the fucking rest of them. It doesn't really matter. We'll post everything over there about upcoming things for Wasteland and where you can follow all that shit. Maybe I'll even do a TikTok in hell. So enough with the updates. How about we do a right profile? Say. I see this guy shoot his right profile. So this week I picked a band from Singapore called Error. Uh, at the moment they only have a one and a half song uh, thing up on Bandcamp. One song's an intro. It's that's not a full song. Uh, but from what I've heard so far, it is absolutely beastly. Uh, Without a doubt, this band takes inspiration from Disembodied and Satan. Uh, The opening riff to Emptiness Within is pure violence. There's so much dissonance in it, it actually made my eyes water. Error has a bone-crushing rhythm section, lunatic guitar riffing, and vocals that sound like someone literally vomiting up an entire cinder block. It's heavy, it's scary... I can't wait to see what other madness they unleash next. And you can check them out at errorhc.bandcamp.com. And I'll post a link in the episode notes. Now, 
a while back, I posted a little mixtape of some beats I made during the long, uncertain summer of 2020. And uh, not that many people listen to it. <laughs> so uh, here's one of my favorite tracks. I think one of the better tracks off that little release. This is Tiamo off Greaseball Volume 1. So if you are of a mind, you can check out some of my other tracks on artyclay.bandcamp.com and artyclay over at SoundCloud. So moving on, last year I published a book, Soda Chain, uh, and this year I'll be doing the same. I don't know if Shane will. <laughs> Aha! The upcoming book that I'm putting out is called Young Till I'm Old, The Memoirs of a Punk Rock Nobody. And it's just a collection of stories and essays, mostly revolving around my formative years playing in bands and traveling. I thought I'd share a piece of it with you. I've been working on it for about two years. This is the same piece that is currently being shared in uh, the second issue of our zine. So if you haven't purchased that yet, uh, or if you never will, that's totally fine. You can get a little sneak peek anyway. This is a, uh, I'm going to read you a chapter. That's what I'm going to do. It's not that long. It's not that long. And uh, maybe some of you guys are like Shane and you listen to your podcasts on, uh, you know, one and a half times speed because you're a psychopath. But uh, this is chapter six from Young Till I'm Old, and it is titled Straight Edge Revenge. Now, if you were ever in the punk rock or hardcore scenes and you ever felt just fed up and sick with all your teetotaling straight edge friends, some of these complaints, they might just ring true to you. Just don't tell Carl. And of course, as with the rest of my stories, in Young Till I'm Old, I've changed some names, but nothing else.
Straight Edge Revenge. The first time I ever got drunk, I was in the 10th grade. Yeah, I was a late bloomer. Growing up, my parents never had more than a bottle of wine in the house, so Jimmy in the liquor cabinet was never really an option. Looking back, I now realize most of my childhood friends had parents who were full-blown alcoholics. I'm sure we could have gotten some booze if we put our minds to it, but it never came up. As kids, my friends and I really only gave a shit about Nintendo and Ghostbusters. Now, in middle school, I did taste tequila, of all things, over at a friend's house. He grabbed the bottle out of the garbage can, and we salvaged a couple of drops. It tasted like liquid fire, and I was glad there wasn't enough to pour an actual shot. With absolutely no tolerance for alcohol, straight tequila would probably have melted my insides. I would have wound up a writhing muck puddle like those hapless bums from street trash. Once in the ninth grade, I shotgunned a beer outside of a show when no one had any water and I nearly staged over myself into a coma. I went back inside and promptly fell down. I had to sit the rest of the show out, but I was still so keyed up from jumping around that I didn't feel drunk. I just felt sick. The dude who gave me the beer, an older metalhead from school, he just laughed, tousled my hair, and called me a faggot. It wouldn't be until Christmas break 1999 that the opportunity to get properly shithoused would present itself. My high school crew was a mix-and-match gang of skateboarders, BMX riders, and various misfit punks and goths. Alice was of the latter category, as evidenced by her black jinko jeans, corpse makeup, and spiked pink hair. Even among our oddball peers, Alice stood out. And though I never dressed like I was bat shit, or part bat for that matter, most of the high school hierarchy lumped me in with those that did, and ignored me anyway. But it was never an issue, because the freaks were more fun to be around. The last day before Christmas break, Alice told us her parents were going out of town, and she was having a party. A real high school party. My closest friend at the time, Pete, he was a bit of a freak himself. He didn't doll himself up with crazy clothes and makeup, but he did cover himself in stick-and-poke tattoos done prison-style with disposable camera parts. And this was in the late 90s before there were YouTube tutorials on everything. I have no idea how he figured it out and didn't give himself MRSA. The night of the party, Pete and I hitched a ride with the only preppy kid who hung out with us, a guy named Richie. He was one of those high school anomalies who could move from click to click without ever losing his social marketability. One night he'd be out skateboarding with us, and the next day he'd be at a tennis lesson or out on a friend's yacht. He refused to buy his clothes retail and instead purchased everything from his cargo shorts to his backpack from the Abercrombie & Fitch catalog. Despite his preening exterior, he was, at his core, a sarcastic, cynical dick, so he fit right in with the rest of us. When we got to Alice's, there were maybe four people there. Pete keenly assessed the situation. There were only two half-full bottles of liquor. Who knew how many more thirsty friends would soon be showing up? It was time to tie one on. Pete commandeered the bar area and quickly poured me a full glass of vodka, topping it off with a splash of Mountain Dew. At his insistence, and not knowing any better, I chugged this vaguely green concoction and was ass out within ten minutes. All I remember was standing in Alice's bathroom, telling myself in the mirror, You're drunk, and laughing at everything. Still, I didn't puke, and I didn't break anything. That wouldn't happen until a few years and a handful of drunken nights later. 
I didn't get the opportunity to party much in high school, and that's because almost all my friends were straight edge, and getting fucked up by yourself isn't nearly as fun as doing it in a group. I've always thought being straight edge is like believing in the Bible. There's a lot of different interpretations. Basically, you're supposed to stay away from alcohol, cigarettes, and drugs because they quote-unquote make you weak. Some people extend the meaning to promiscuous sex. Others even stay away from caffeine and prescription medicine. I've even met some people who've turned it into an extension of Christianity. The DC punk band Minor Threat were the first to really popularize the edge in their 1981 song, Straight Edge. The lyrics go, don't smoke, don't drink, don't fuck, at least I can fucking think. After that, Countless punk and hardcore bands emulated the lifestyle, most notably some of the popular mid-80s New York groups like Youth of Today, Gorilla Biscuits, and Judge. I like all those bands, except for Youth of Today. And I get the sentiment. Constantly dulling your senses is no way to live. But doesn't it sound a little crazy? My friends and I were a motley crew of weirdos, just like any other group of suburban punks in a small town, making trouble, going crazy to violent music, getting in the occasional fight, skateboarding, and destroying property. But no one drank or smoked weed. We might have been a bit calmer if we had. I had a handful of friends who weren't straight edge, Pete being the biggest proponent of debauchery, but we were outnumbered. Even after high school, we rolled with a sizable group of people and never got much of a chance to party. Sure, we could have broken ties and gone off on our own. Some did. But that's where the worst part of being around people who are straight edge comes in. As you might imagine, people who put themselves up on a substance-free pedestal sometimes tend to be a bit condescending. Living their lives in the way they want isn't enough. Everyone around them must toe the line or else. If I did go off and drink, my friends would give me shit about it. And we were a rough group when it came to busting balls, so I usually just went without rather than deal with the insults. But it was much worse if you were straight edge and you broke edge. Just one sip of beer or puff on a cigarette and you were done. That person was ostracized from the group. We wouldn't skate together anymore or see each other at shows. Unbelievably, these guys viewed being straight edge as a lifelong commitment, as if anyone in their teens and 20s can commit to anything except jerking off. So back to puking and breaking stuff. The one and only time I've ever been blackout drunk was a year after high school when I was still hanging around Pete. One night, he decided to throw a party. Most of our straight edge friends were too annoying to be invited, but there were a few of the less self-righteous ones who made it out, though they acted like a bunch of stick-up-their-own-ass Mormons. The rest of the party was attended by a handful of drunk high school buddies and other weirdos we'd met at the local community college. At least, that's what Pete told me after I'd regained consciousness. I don't remember the party because, technically, I missed all of it. See, a few weeks before this, a friend of mine had gotten married. He'd sat me at the obligatory rowdy dude table during the reception, and thanks to someone being over 21, we had a steady stream of liquor from the open bar. I tried all the cocktails I'd ever heard of that night. Rum and Coke, Jack and Coke, Seven and Seven, and the screwdriver, which I liked the most. I left the wedding plastered, but still aware enough to find my friend's car and heave my wedding entree into the bushes before I got inside. I arrived at Pete's before anyone else, with my bottle of vodka purchased by a well-paid bum who'd been talking to himself outside the ABC. Confident in my alcoholic knowledge due to my wedding boozing, I accepted the carton of orange juice Pete handed me and took it upon myself to start clumsily mixing my own screwdrivers. 
not having any idea how watered down the open bar drinks at that wedding were, or how low my tolerance was, I downed four big bastards, draining most of the bottle in the process. The last thing I remember was Tony, the only metalhead football player in our crew. He showed up and got a real kick out of how badly I was drooling. Then, darkness. I came to with my arms encircling the base of a toilet, just like my dad always said I would. I was hugging that porcelain throne like that idiot Jack Dawson clinging to a broken piece of door. As I moved my head to see where I was, my brain split open like a rotten pumpkin. Everything hurt. I was abysmally hungover and would later realize I'd probably missed alcohol poisoning by just a few sips. Accepting that I couldn't yet move, I tried to look around the bathroom using only my eyes. The light of dawn filtered in through the little window, and it was stabbing me in the eyes and burning my skin. I was a vampire in the throes of some awful stomach bug. My face felt sticky, and I realized I was lying in a thin puddle of my own vomit. It wasn't enough to Jimi Hendrix myself, but that didn't make it any less disgusting. Gingerly, I tried to move my legs and realized I couldn't. That's when I noticed someone was passed out on top of them. At first... I was intrigued to note the person was female, but this feeling soon turned to one of disappointment when I realized it was my ex-girlfriend, Melanie. I'd find out later that I'd screamed at her in front of the entire party and one of her hipster art school friends with a face like a Pomeranian spit on me. Melanie got almost as drunk as I did and attempted to take care of me, but ended up just puking on my shoes. Pete would also tell me I danced around with a bucket on my head, tore his shower curtain down, and puked all over his room. And he didn't even beat the shit out of me for any of it. Migraine be damned, I wanted out of this room and away from Melanie. We had one of those toxic relationships where one of the pair takes things way too seriously for their age. And I was the other one. As I got up, it felt like someone was bouncing a crowbar off the inside of my skull. Melanie flopped off me and rolled over like a dead fish, but she moaned, so I knew she was returning to consciousness. She would be fine. But I had to get out of there before she came to and started a conversation with me that I didn't want to have. I crawled downstairs to find a few people still passed out in Pete's living room. My buddy Kirk saw me coming down the stairs and all he said was, Dude. And that really said it all. The shit I got for my behavior that night was immeasurable. All my edge pals dumped on me until I began to consider never taking a drink again. Or just getting some new friends who sucked less. Sure, I deserved most of what I got. I'd been a massive pain in the ass that night. But it was the one and only time when I completely lost control. And almost everyone has that moment. Honestly, it ends up not being such a bad thing. Because that's when you discover how far you can push your boundaries. When you're a teen, or you're in your 20s, nothing you think or say really matters. You haven't lived enough life yet, but all the same, at that age, we're very sure of ourselves. We've already got everything figured out. This life shit isn't that complicated. All I have to do is what I want to do. And the rest will just work itself out. Everything I am now is what I'm going to be forever. There's a wall we hit right around the time we turn 30 that says otherwise. There's a reason they call it the adult crash. In addition to all the grown-up shit you take on as you get older... You know, the stuff that's initially a pain in the ass to deal with, but in the long run makes your life much more comfortable and stable. You leave a lot of your physical resilience in your 20s. 
Sure, you don't instantly turn into some decrepit hunchback, but for the first time ever, you begin to feel your age. And if at 30-something, you decide that maybe, just maybe, you might have been mistaken about your lifelong abstinence, you better gird yourself. Your body can take a hangover when you're 16, or even 26, a whole lot better than when you're 36. I know mine could. Despite how wretched I felt that morning at Pete's, I bounced back by the end of the day. Now it takes me days to shake a hangover, so I just don't drink like that. When you're young, you drink to have fun. When you're older, when you've got a spouse, kids, a house, career, bills, etc., you drink to relax. You go out, or stay in, to dull your senses because it's just sensory overload all day. And there's no shame in unplugging for a few hours, just as long as you're able to plug yourself back in. But when you've never had a drop of alcohol in your life because of what some stupid song said, not only will you be unable to plug back in, you will jam your dick into the outlet and burn the house down. In my late 20s, I was working a mindless office job, and every now and then I'd go have a beer with a few friends after work. Sometimes when I cooked dinner, I'd have a beer or two all by myself. And it was nice. I didn't tear up anybody's house. I didn't drink and drive. In short, just like the ads say, I drank responsibly. But when all my previously steadfast friends broke edge around the same time, as I knew many of them would, it was like they age regressed themselves back to 17. And when you're outside of a bar with one of your buddies screaming vomit into a shrub, the other pissing his pants and picking fights with passersby, and you've got to call the cab, you really start to resent dealing with their holier-than-thou straight-edge bullshit for so many years. When your plastered friend brings some random girl back to your house and violently plows her on your couch, then gives her your favorite hoodie to wear, and she leaves never to be seen again, you can now give him all the shit in the world for the drug-free tattoo he got in some guy's garage when he was 15. If booze just isn't for you, then that's great, because a crowded bar sucks. But just be realistic. If one day you decide that clinging to an ideal you latched onto as a teenager doesn't apply to your life anymore. Punk rock doesn't really have any rules, but there is one that most people abide by. Be yourself. But if you're the exact same at 35 as you were at 15, uninvolved, ironclad principles and all, you're not only doing yourself a disservice, but you're also probably annoying the shit out of everyone around you. Well, in closing, I just want to say thanks for listening to the show. Thanks for listening to this week's abridged episode. We are going to be back next week, uh, back to normal with another one and one R5. And we have some cool stuff planned for the summer. I'm excited about it. Um, so I thought I might leave you with some more music. Now, a few years ago, Shane, Jesse, and I, we recorded some old We're Not Dead songs. It was an old band that Shane and I had done with some of our really good friends uh, back in the early 2000s. And we recorded some unrecorded, old, and rewritten songs under the moniker Absent Friends because, you know, a lot of our friends were absent. Now, this band never played any shows, but recently I've started writing music for a few new projects again, this one included. Now, we're going to have to wait until all my bandmates' children are able to walk and feed themselves, but things are looking good for a return to form in a few years. So until then, this is 
we're killing ourselves in front of everyone off the absent friends ep we're dead thanks for listening everybody's dying bitch let's get you some fruit (laughs) 